Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Womer. I am the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith. For those of you that do not know, and if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We hope that you are experiencing your, uh, enjoying your experience this morning. And so, um, man, I tell you what, today is a great day. It's beautiful outside. The sun is back. It seems to have hidden away from us for a couple of days. And anybody ever noticed that when the sun goes away for a few days, that when it comes back, you're just like, ah, the sun is out. It's going to be a good day. And so I get to come to church and and then I get to worship, and I get to hear the Word, and it's, a, it's just going to be a good day. Today, I am going to spend a few minutes talking to you about a topic that I, I love to talk about, I love to preach, I love to, to dialogue about, and um, we're going to talk this morning about the glory of God Amen. and what its relevance is for your life today and why it's so critically important even still today. Uh, we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament understanding what this was for, what the intent was, what was behind it, what happened because of it, and then we'll move our way into some New Testament as well so you can see it in action in the first church. And of course, the church in the book of Acts is the church that we oftentimes try to model ourselves after as closely as possible. And so, again, it's so good to be with you. If you were here last week, I sound a lot better today. I'm getting over my my sickness from coming back from the mission trip that I was on, and um, I'm starting to feel a lot better. Um, last week was a little bit of a struggle, um, but it's so good to be here and so good to be able to, to preach. I am excited to, 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 to share this time with you this morning. Had a great time of prayer with our team this morning and just really sensed God moving, and so it's going to be a great morning. Are you guys ready to jump right in? Yeah. Oh, oh, you guys are even awake. Uh-oh. You know, when that stuff happens, I get a little unruly, so, and I don't know where my wife is to rein me in, so we might be in trouble now. So, uh, so the glory of God is, is the subject that I love to talk about because I've just seen God move in so many unbelievable ways, so many different kinds of ways that, that every single time I get the opportunity to see God move, it never fails to humble me. It never fails to just, wow, God, look what you did and it's funny because I read scripture and I understand the Bible and it says that all these things are capable and all these things are possible and all these things will happen. But yet when they do, I still somehow am completely mind blown that it actually happened and took place in my life. And so, so we're going to jump into this. And uh, as you guys know, as many of you know, I love to unpack the word of God. I love to dissect it and understand what it means in its original language and intent. So the word glory, as it's found in the Old Testament, is this is, the, this is the definition that it comes. It's going to be up on the screen as well. I got, I got some notes for you to follow along with us, um, and hopefully that, that, that helps you in your further study as you, as you get into the Word of God yourselves throughout the week. But the word glory, is, it means that which is substantial or heavy, and it's a weightiness. And so the glory of God has this weight to it, and, and oftentimes whenever... This, this glory has manifested itself, whether in church or in a personal time of prayer or whatever the case is. There's just this weight, and not like a burden weight, but just this, wow, I just feel God's presence. And I don't know, have you ever prayed, have you ever prayed pers- even personally or in the church or any other way? Have you ever gotten into the presence of God? Have you ever prayed and just, wow, just felt consumed by the presence of God? just felt like, oh my gosh, I can't even stand right now. I need to sit. 
or I can't even sit right now, I need to lay down, or whatever the case may be. I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times in my own life that I have experienced God in such a way that I'm just like, I cannot stand right now. And that's a biblical thing that's happened many, many times. And so we're going to actually jump right into your notes this morning rather than, than have a long pre, prelude to, to, the, uh, to the message. We're going to jump right in. The very first thing that I want to talk about when it comes to the glory of God is that the glory of God is the manifested presence of God. Okay, we're going to do a little teaching this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully open your eyes to a few things that you may, may have known, may not have known, but either way, I hope it encourages you. But the glory of God is the manifested presence of God. It's this, the glory of God is this substance of who God is. It's his greatness. It's his majesty. It's his splendor. It's his power. It's his excellency. It's his anointing. It's his fame. It's everything at one time just whoom, in the room. And I remember when I was younger in my faith, and yes, I gave my life to Christ in, uh, almost 20 years ago in a very wildly charismatic Pentecostal church. I used to call them the chandelier swingers, because I promise you if there were chandeliers on the roof, they, on the ceiling, they would have grabbed them and swung. It was just a wild place, and, uh, and it was, but it was, it was beautiful in the, in, in the presence of God. But there was, I remember one particular moment, and I was, I was much newer to my faith, so this kind of freaked me out a little bit, but I remember I was worshiping, and I was the guy, I mean, I gave my life to Christ. I was a hellion, if I can say that in church. I say stuff like worse than that in this church, so I was, I was a messed up young man. I was partying, drinking, drugging, doing all kinds of stupid stuff, and living a wild, wild life, and gave my life to Christ, and how many know just because you give your life to Christ doesn't mean the wild, wild life goes away, right? It's like this process, this journey and I'm still on that journey every day of my life. And so when I, when I gave my life to Christ, it was a couple of weeks later. I was in church on a Sunday morning, and we, it was, we were meeting in the, the gym of a school while the church was being built. And I remember just being in the gym of this school, and I remember worshiping. And all of a sudden, I just got this feeling like, what, like the weight that I described it just came over me. And I was like... I didn't even know what to do. I started to buckle over like, what is going on? And I, I started, I had tears coming down my eye, weeping down my face. And one of the things I will say is giving my life to Christ made me a little bit of a crybaby. Up until then, I was way too tough to cry. I'll break an ankle and not cry. That's how tough I thought I was. And then give my life to Christ and I become a little bit of much, much, much more of a weeping crybaby. And I don't mind it so much, but I began to tear up. And this was only probably like the second time I'd cried in like, my life, except when I was like physically harmed. But so I began to tear up and I had no idea what was going on. And it was so weighty that I fell to my knees and then onto my face and I just laid there on the ground. I was like, what the heck is going on right now? I don't understand any of this. This makes no sense. So afterwards, I had the great opportunity to have an amazing pastor who is so well versed in scripture and so compassionate, and so loving, and I just said to him, what on earth just happened? But I didn't quite say it that way. I had only a couple of weeks saved, so it was a little bit more colorful than that, and, uh, and he just laughed. That's what I loved about him. He just laughed and never judged me, and he's like, all right, let me, let me talk to you about this, and he went to Moses, and the first place he went to describe what this glory of God that I experienced was, was it was birthed out of a place inside of me that just wanted to know God. 
Like I, I had lived my life for 23 plus years doing my own thing, partying my own way, doing whatever I wanted, and it didn't really get me anywhere except dead end after dead end after dead end and all kinds of other trouble. And I got to a place where I gave my life to Christ and I just wanted to know God every day. I wanted to know more of God. And he said it was out of that hunger that birthed this experience with God. And so a similar one that, is, that, was, that, he, that he referenced to was in Exodus chapter 33, uh, in verse number 17 through 21. The Bible says, the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for. I look favorably upon you and know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. And the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will call out you will, and, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. And in verse number 20, the Bible says, But you may not look directly at my face, for no one can see me and live. And that's just a description of the glory of God. But he said, so so this glory just passes in front of Moses. I mean, he couldn't even actually see see it face to face because he couldn't he wouldn't live but because this glory of God passed in front of Moses later on he would come out of that experience and the Bible said that every single person who saw him were in awe of what they saw because he came down you know with a radiance about him something had changed there was this something in him that just 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 went just completely different and it was noticeable by everyone around and it was the glory of God that had fallen upon his life. And, and if you look from that moment on, Moses was a great leader up until that moment. But if you look from that moment that he had experience with God on, the power of God is what came through Moses greater than ever before. And so he had this, this time where he just, this, the, the presence and the glory of God just consumed him. And that was his prayer. His prayer was, his, I, I want to show me your glorious presence. And that's what he would speak. And he would repeat that several times in Exodus. And he would say, show me your glory, God. I mean, we sing a song, simply show me your glory. It's, it's, it's a cry of a lot of folks' heart to say, I want to see your glory, God. I want to know you. I want everything that you have for me. Now, that's dangerous to pray because he's going to give it to you. And then you're going to be required to do something with it. That's why it's dangerous. That's why I'm always telling folks, you know, two things when it comes to seeking the Lord and praying is be specific and be careful. Because specific, because God is a specific God. He's into the details. If you don't understand, if you don't realize that he's into the details, just look at his creation and the detail of his creation. How the inner workings of the human body work, but even just the way he hung the planets I mean, scientifically proven fact that if we were even a, 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 a tenth of a degree rotated closer to the sun, we'd burn up and die. And if we were even the same distance rotated away, we'd all freeze. So he's in the details. So be specific when you pray and seek God in those moments. But be careful. Because when you pray like Moses prayed, show me your glorious presence. God's like, all right, I'm going to pass in front of you. But what came from that experience with Moses was this authority and then a responsibility that he had for it and that responsibility ultimately led Moses into not actually receiving the promised land that God had promised why because he had some disobedience he, he was held to this accountability place don't be scared of it because it's 
work. Don't be scared of it because of what's going to be expected because the greatness of what comes from that is beautiful and it will be life-changing. And this was a changing, life-changing moment for me personally that literally set me on fire for God in such a way that I was either at work, at home, or at church. I went from playing, I was playing, I was playing a lot of softball at the time. I met my wife and she, she would attest to this. I was playing like six nights a week, hundreds of games a year. I was trying to hold on to the glory of my younger days when I was a really good ball player. And, and I just, I literally, none of that ever even mattered anymore. It just went away. And I was like, I'm cool with that. I, I'm in the presence of God. I want to go to church. I want to serve the ching- kingdom of God. I want to work. I want to, and that's what, that's what my life started to do. And lo and behold, this is what would come from it where I am today and what God's doing in my life today. And so God told Moses that no one can see his glory and live. It's because our sinful flesh cannot handle the glory of his holiness. So we experience moments of his manifested presence, moments, whether it's in a worship service like this or a personal prayer time that you engage in at home or in a prayer group with some friends or whatever the case is, you receive, you receive moments of this manifested presence because if you lived in that place, you couldn't live because it's just way too consuming. And then later on, if you look in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul, Paul's prayer for the church is echoed almost very similarly. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with the light so that you can understand the confident hope that is given to those called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So the same word that is used in Exodus when the glory passed in front of Moses is on the flip side, the translated word in the Hebrew that is in the Greek that is used by Paul saying the same thing. You are his glorious creation. You are as part of his glorious inheritance. The, the weight and the heaviness of what God has for you was Paul's prayer for the church even in that day. And so when we think about the glory of God and we think about the manifestation of this glory and how it falls on other people, it's often commonly referred to as an anointing. Like, so I don't know about you, but I've sat into some, in some churches and under some preaching where I just am captivated by what he's saying. And I'm like, man, that guy's anointed. There's just something. God is just all in him, over him, through him, on him. And it's just hitting me right here. I don't know about, I don't know about you. Maybe I don't preach that way for some of you. But for others, I know sometimes I do. And for myself, I certainly do. And so it's like, man, he was just talking to me today. It's like, you just all, you, I just couldn't take my eyes off of what you were, my ears off of what you were saying. And and that's, that's that anointing, that rest. That's not subject to my abilities. That's subject to God's grace, just saying, I've got something to say today, and I'm going to use this donkey to say it. Mind you, that, that's, I, I keep a very low view of myself, as much as not low in that, that I'm downtrodden, but to the point that uh, if God will cause a rock to cry out and a donkey to speak, I figure I've got to be somewhere between the two. And so if he's going to do that with me, he can do that with you. But that's, he's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't look at you and I and say, oh, well, you deserve this and you deserve that. Let me show some glory to you. Let me put some anointing on you. That's not how that works. Matter of fact, I've known some folks that are anointed that I probably wouldn't have chosen to anoint them. If I'm just going to be honest. I mean, we probably could all say that about something or someone in our lives if, if we so chose. 
But this anointing is an expression of God's glory. In Luke chapter 5, 17, it says the power of the Lord was present to heal them. In Luke 6, 19, it says the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out of him and healed them all. Luke 8, 46, Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out of me. There was just an anointing on Jesus' life that anybody who came and heard him preach, anyone who he touched, or anybody who touched him were healed. That's the anointing that is, comes with the glory of God. And it may not manifest itself the same way today, but it's still a part of what happens in the world today. It's still a part of, you see people, I, I mean, I've seen it, and I've prayed it, and I've witnessed it, and I've heard it, and everything multiple times of just people being prayed for and healing taking place, whether it's from cancer or if it's from broken bones or it's from years and years and years of scoliosis or whatever the case may be. It's, it's mental Mental challenges and struggles, depression and anxiety. I've literally seen people change from one day to the next. That's the anointing of God in, a mo in the moment. See, with the anointing of God, let me share this with you really quick. It's a little bit off my notes, and I'm paying attention to my time so I don't get too far off my notes. But let me just explain something really quickly, because in the church today, all kinds of different churches in the world, and they're all beautiful. Don't hate the church, because the church is the bride of Christ. If you hate the church, you hate the bride. And if I hated my bride, she wouldn't live with me long. It's hard enough. I love her, and it's hard enough to get, with her, get her to live with me forever. You imagine if I hated her? So you can't hate the church, even if they've done you wrong, and even if they've done, you know, the church is the church. It's imperfect. It's got issues, but it's also the bride of Christ. And the anointing of God happens for a purpose. There are some churches that just will pray general anointing. General anointing is not something that is biblically existing. Anointing always had a, pur a purpose. Isaiah spoke it and Jesus echoed it when he said that I, have, that I have been chosen for such a time as this, to preach the good news, right? I have been anointed for a time like this to preach the good news. He was, even Jesus, the son of God, was anointed for a purpose. Not just for any, and not just because of random. And there's churches that will preach and pray, say, hey, God, just anoint everything that they do. That's not how that works. Anointing has a specific purpose tied to it every time. And, and the verses I just shared with you out of Luke shows some specific purpose. But there are three characteristics of anointing that I'm going to give you really quickly. This is not, what I'm, uh, not the crux of my message here, but there's three things I want you to understand about anointing. Is that it is tangible, that it flows, and that it can be transferred. The three verses I just shared shows that. It is tangible, meaning you can put your hand on it. Something happens with the anointing of God. You can put your hand on it. You can see it. It flows, meaning it's going to continue and just continue to generate and regenerate. And then it, is, it can be transferred. Praying that way over someone. I, I, I believe in the power of transferring through prayer and through the laying of hands. You can lay hands on people. That's why, that's why when I, I remember when I was, um, when I was, when I was credentialed the first time in 2000 and three, I think it was, I went through this process where I walked through this pastors on either side, and they were just laying hands on me, praying, and it was like this commissioning to preach the gospel. They were transferring what they were speaking into my heart and into my life as a commissioning to preach the gospel. It happens in many different denominations when they go through a credentialing process like that. In some way, shape, or form, it takes place. So it's, you can transfer that. And then the power, what's tangible, can transfer to others. That's why people are healed. 
Because it's the laying on of hands. And the Bible even says, you know, if you're ailing, if you're hurting, if you're suffering, come to the elders of church so they can lay hands upon you and anoint you with oil and be healed. So there is power in that, and that's the transferring part of that. And God, God wants us to seek him, not seek his manifestation of his glory. See, that's, that's what's happened, I think, a lot of times what's happened in the church today is they're not seeking God, but they're looking for this miraculous thing, which would cause people to uproot. And I remember, I remember reading a story when the, the whole revival was taking place in Lakeland, Florida, and some amazing, miraculous things were happening. People were uprooting their families from thousands of miles away and moving to Lakeland, Florida, chasing after that, that, that manifestation of the presence of God. And while it was probably this beautiful thing to experience, that what happens is we chase that and we fail to ever actually know God because we're just chasing what we can see and what we can feel. But the Bible even defines hope and faith is believing in what you cannot see. So if you're always chasing what you can see, you'll fail to see what you cannot see. And so that's what happens in the church, and we chase this, and we chase this manifestation. And folks, will, it'll echo like this in the church. Well, you know what? I was just there, and I was lifting my hands, and I just wasn't feeling it. So I had to go to another church, because I got to go where I can feel it. Let me tell you something. If I always went where I felt, the last thing I'd be doing right now is preaching. And just be real. It's the last thing I'd be doing right now. Because a lot of times I don't feel like preaching. I feel like doing something else. I feel like doing something that Galatians talk about is my sinful nature. Because that's nature. And that's what we do. We chase what we feel. And that's why craziness happens. Not just in the church, but even outside of the church. And wouldn't you know it, not, no judgment, no nothing. But the Lakeland Revival, the pastor leading the Lakeland Revival, was actually caught up in all kinds of moral failure. In the middle of it all. That's why I say God's not a respecter of persons. In the middle of doing all of that, the anointing of God was still there because it wasn't about him and it was about what the people there needed from God in those moments. So just because, just because someone is preaching powerfully or living what you think to be this, this, this life of faith does not necessarily mean that's the way it is. God's just anointed that person for that purpose to reach those people in that moment. And so when this gets twisted around, the church is what suffers because of it. The church suffers because of the chasing of the manifestations. Because people forget the purpose of the church. So as a quick reminder, before we move on to the rest of our message, I want to share with you what the purpose of the local church is so, you, so we don't get things twisted around. The local church is a place where people get a steady and complete teaching of his word. That's why I love the parachurch ministries. I love people who come and preach, whether it's hip-hop ministries, evangelists, prophet, prophetic conferences. I love all those things. They're beautiful, they're wonderful, and they have their place. But the local church is where disciples are made. The local church is where communities are changed and served. The local church is where lives are touched and changed forever. They don't just change. They, they change in a moment, but the journey is what the church is for. It's a place where people can worship the Lord with their heart. It's a place where people can be restored and overcome temptation. It's a place where people can grow and serve in ministry. It's a place where sin, where sin and wrong motives are corrected. Oh, man, you had me until that moment. I was in for the teaching. I was in for, the, I was in for worship. I was in for overcoming temptation. I was even in to serve, but now you're talking about correcting me. Uh, no gracias. 
Not trying to feel that. I don't like correction, so not happening. But it's also, it's supposed to be a place where people are loved and accepted. And so that's the purpose of the local church. And a healthy church will pursue and yield to the moving of the Holy Spirit without neglecting the other areas of ministry that cause that group to remain grounded in who they are. So, and that's what, that's what I've hoped to try to build here is a church that will chase after the presence of God, that will seek God, but not at the expense of being who God called us to be. Not at the expense of serving a community and hoping to see the change in a, in a, in a city. Because I do, I believe the church is the hope of the world. And I believe that the church can, should be the hub of a community, a place where everybody you can go, a place where you can be prayed for, a place where you can learn. And a healthy church will pursue those without yielding to God's Holy Spirit. It will be able to do both. Seek the glory of God, but do what the glory of God was meant to do and is meet people's needs. Number two, God wants to reveal himself in his glory. God wants to reveal himself in his glory. No, we were created to know the glory of God. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them my glory, and it was I who created them. He said, let me say that again. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory, it was I who created them. This glory that we preach about, this glory that we speak about, you were created for this. You were created to experience this. You were created to desire this. God wants us to experience his glory, both personally, individually, but also collectively as the body of Christ and as the church. And when the glory of God is manifested in a group setting, it's also known as the church. Acts, the greatest impartation of the Holy Spirit in history, the church was born from it. That's the whole purpose of the glory of God. And he, 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 it was even echoed in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. I'll get to those scriptures in a minute. But he's talking about, make me a tabernacle or a dwelling place, a place for God to meet with people. That's his desire. Make me a place where I can meet with people. People being more than one, a place being a location, not necessarily a building. But when you put this group of people in a location, it's the church. Whether you put them in a movie theater, you put them in a cathedral, you put them in a park, you put them in a tent, it doesn't matter where you put them, it's the church. It's where they come together to meet with God. That's the whole point of God's glory. Exodus 25 verse 8 says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. Exodus 25 verse 22 says, I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim and the, and the hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. This was a specific location that God wanted to meet with people. He was, he's describing a pulpit. I'm here. I'm in front of you. I'm above you so that I can speak to you and you can hear me. And this is what I have to say to you. So if God's glory is manifested in power under the old covenant, we can have confidence that God's glory will manifest itself in the new covenant of the New Testament. See, Jesus said it himself, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. A lot of people want to take and throw the, throw the Old Testament out the window because, hey, that's old. We live under the New Testament. And it just helps them to feel better about themselves. 
feel better about choices they want to make because, oh, well, you know what? The Bible doesn't word for word specifically say this, so I'm good under the New Testament. It doesn't tell me, oh, no, I, no, see, I'm good. I'm the New Covenant church. We're good. But you, it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. The Old Testament is the foundation of God's word. It's where it was all built. It was where it was all spoken. It was where it was all laid. And Jesus then came to fulfill that, not to abolish it. And if you look at the book of Acts, after Jesus has appeared to his people, he's disappeared. He's gone into, into heaven. The power of the Holy Spirit has fallen. The church has been born. This is what happens after prayer, after a prayer meeting, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they began to preach the word of God with boldness. One of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in someone's life is when they preach with boldness. Now, don't confuse passion with boldness because you can get anybody up here to start shouting passionately. The boldness is found in how they're living it. The boldness is found in how they're walking it out. So are you preaching with boldness? Are you experiencing God in such a way that you have an Acts chapter 4 experience where you preach to God Preach the word of God boldly. See, today we are the temple of God. We are the place for his glory. We are where the Holy Spirit resides. But there's still power in the corporate gathering. The psalmist in Psalm 63 verse 2 says, So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Psalm 26 verse 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house. And the place where your glory dwells. David said, better is it one day in the courts of our Lord than a 10,000 elsewhere. These are physical places. Not just here. While you are the church and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit according to the new covenant. There's still this need for the church. And as you read this book of Acts, which hopefully the church today is modeled after. You find that there is a desire to experience the glory of God. You'll find that there was a faith to seek God for this glory and for the anointing and that the God's glory was manifested. But more importantly, that's where churches stop. The fourth part of that is the most important. Lives were changed. That's what matters. I don't, if, you can, if you're seeking the Lord and shouting in 400 different tongues and shouting Shundai praises all day long, and then your faith seeking, Lord, anoint us and anoint us, God. Let us, let us do what you've called us to do. Send your anointing and your glory. And then you all of a sudden see this manifestation of God's glory, but nobody's life has changed. It's worthless. It's got no value. Life change. The greatest miracle in the history of all mankind is the heart changed. That's it. It's not the dead person rising, although that's kind of cool. You know, it's not the blind eyes seeing, that's, that's kind of cool. It's not the lame man walking, that's kind of cool. It's the heart changed. I look at it and say, you know, Lazarus, you were raised from the grave just to die again. See, nobody thinks about that part. I preached that a couple months ago. We're not talking about that today. But he raised them from the dead just because he could, because he turned around and died just a few months later. The heart change is what Jesus is after. That's what the glory of God is about. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about. That's what all gifts are about. It's about the heart change. God wants to meet people's needs. That's the reason for the glory of God, not just to get lost in his presence. It's so easy, though. Anybody ever just get lost in the presence of God? Worship just consumes you and you're just like, ah, I could live here forever. And while that would be nice, I'd make no money. 
pay no bills, reach no, no, help change nobody else's life. But man, I'd be nice and comfortable, right? But when the glory of God, of, of God is manifested all through Scripture, people hear the voice of God clearly. People ask the question to me all the time, how did you know that God called you to preach? I, I heard his voice pretty clearly, not like I'm speaking to you, but there's a whole lot going on in my heart that made it very obvious that this is what I'm supposed to do. And all my disobedience helped just solidify that this was very obvious that this is what I'm supposed to do. So people hear the voice of God. People are healed when the glory is manifested. People's hearts are mended, and people feel conviction that leads to repentance. So I wonder today how often the glory of God is genuinely in the church. Because how much repentance is preached in the church? How many people are coming and turning their hearts to Christ, walking away from lifestyles? According to his glory in Philippians chapter 419, it says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus. See, faith, faith makes a pull on God's anointing. God, God reacts to faith. And he looks at faith and he looks at people who are believing what they cannot see and says, all right, I'm going to give you a little bit of what you can see. Because that's, it pulls the anointing out of God. I mean, Cornelius in, in the book of Acts, if you read about him, I'm not, I, don't have a lot, I don't have enough time to go into all of his story. But if you read about him, he made a pull. He sought out a Jew for the Holy Spirit. That was, not, uh, that was not what you would do because the Jews oftentimes struggled with this whole Holy Spirit manifestation falling thing and he sought out a Jew to experience the Holy Spirit. That's a whole new way of doing things. But he had this dependency. See, here's what faith is. Faith is a dependency, a humbled and surrendered heart. That's what faith is. I'm a depending on God, and I have a humble and surrendered heart towards God. Those two go together. If a person is holding on to an opinion or an offense, a selfish desire, then they're going to hinder what God can actually do for them. It's one of the hardest things in the world. People often ask, well, why do I see God move this way in my life? I'm like, who haven't you forgiven? What opinion do you hold on to so tightly that it keeps you from Experiencing what God might have for you that might be outside of your opinions, belief, or thought. And the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's real simple. If I draw near to him, he draws near to me. It's hard to draw near to God while I hold on to my preference or hold on to my opinion or hold on to what I think is right. Because here's what I've realized. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the only one. But I have thought a whole lot of things were right, only to be wrong. And I have been wrong a whole lot more than I've been right. And that's, 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 that's a, that's a, that's a self-awareness and a realization that I don't know everything. Yes, newsflash, I don't know everything. My way is not always right. Matter of fact, my way is probably mostly wrong. It's just my way. And when I do it my way, I seem to struggle a little bit more to truly hear and sense God. But if you pull on the anointing of God, God will show up. Don't wait for someone else to bring it to you. Don't wait on the music to be a certain style that touches and tickles your little worship fancy. 
Because it's, it's reality. Right here today, beautiful acoustic worship set. Somebody was like, eh, that's all right. And you missed it. You missed the opportunity. I got saved in a very, I wouldn't even really call it a contemporary church because they were a little bit forward thinking and forward worshiping even a contemporary church. And this was back in the late 90s. I didn't even know what a hymnal was. Some of y'all grew up with hymnals. I didn't even know what a hymnal was. My first experience was a hymnal, with a hymnal. I was already saved a little while. I went to another church because there was an evangelist there who could preach and I wanted to hear him preach. Turned out to be a wreck my life night. But I go there and they, the worship team says, open up the book to this number, this page number. We're going to do this. And I'm like, sweet. I love Jesus. I just want to worship. So I open up the hymn book and I start singing, bleeding everyone's ears around me, I'm certain. But I just start singing and I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't read music. So I sing line by line by line by line, straight down. I didn't realize you're supposed to skip, a, skip and go down, and then that's the second verse and third verse. I didn't realize that's how that works. So I'm singing loudly, right straight through the hymnal. My friend next to me is like, dude, what are you doing? It's like, I'm singing. He's like, you're all wrong. That's stop. It's like, oh, well, tell me, how is this supposed to work? So he taught me. I was like, oh, okay. So then I started singing that loudly. It wasn't my flavor. It wasn't my style. But man, I love Jesus, and I didn't want to miss an opportunity to worship him. So whether I'm in a country church, which I've been in, a little cowboy church, been in one of those, or I'm in a, a full-on gospel praise fest church, or I'm somewhere in the middle, whether I go to my good friend Chuck Tate who rocks it out in rock church, doesn't matter where I go, I worship because my worship is not connected to my preference. In my car, I'll bump some Lecrae, but my worship is not connected to my preference. I worship God regardless of where I am or regardless of what the music looks like. You want to see the glory of God come get to that place because let me tell you something. I have experienced God in a hymn that changed my life more than almost any Bethel song ever has, and they're beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But it is well with my soul, sung with an acoustic guitar and a hymn voice, changed my life. So it, 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 it's, it's not about a preference. And when we hold on to these things, we wait for music to be a certain style or we wait for a certain type of preacher to reach me. I reach a certain type of people. Some people don't like my preaching because I'm too passionate or I yell too much or I talk too personally or I'm too transparent and they're, they're already all these, I'm too, I'm too, I'm too. They're missing out on what God might try to say to them. There's got to be something. And all this rambling for, the, for my 40-some minutes that I'll finish, there's got to be something in there that you can grab a hold of. If not, then let me know and I'll work on it. But we seek God and his glory, we receive it. Seek and you will find. Don't seek the leader. Don't seek the church. Don't seek the preaching. Don't seek the music. Seek God. He's the one who's going to direct you. Man, let me move. So I'm going to get to this. this there's, there's a part in the whole thing. I was having a conversation prior to church with somebody, and they're asking me a couple questions on how, how I just went from this hellion of a person to where I am today, and, and it's a 20-year journey, and I'm still nowhere near where I want to be. But I told him when, when I finally sold out to Christ, when I finally made that decision, there was two things I did. I sought out mentoring, sought out somebody that could help me. 
and not somebody who was like my age because they're not helping me. It's, it's just not the way that works. I mean, there's iron sharpening iron. His friends is really good. But when you've got someone in your life that'll say, shut up, you're being stupid, it's so much more powerful. You may not like it. It might hurt, but it's so much better for you. So I sought that out as a young man. And I had this young fire, I had this fireball preacher who was about 15 years older than me or so. And I told him what I wanted. I told him where I wanted to be. And he said, okay, great. This is what you need to do. Read the word, serve. Read the word, serve. I'm like, okay, that's it. He says, yeah, that's where we start. Read the word, serve. Can never go wrong serving someone else. And you can never go wrong reading the word. Start there. So that's what I did. I read the word and I served and I served. And I served. And so that's, I think that's part of why I experienced some of the things that I've experienced with God. And I know there are people that have experienced greater things than I ever have. But for me, they've been life-changing. But I really believe that if you really want to see God's glory and you really want to know God on an intimate level, then serve someone. Serve the kingdom of God. Serve the local church. Serve the local food pantry. Serve, in your, serve your family. Don't serve your family thinking you're serving the church, though, okay? Don't get that twisted. It's okay. It's a great thing to do. But serve the kingdom of God. And you'll see the glory of God. I, I, I believe it because I've seen it. And it's not, here's what's cool. It's not just for us. We have this earthen vessel, this human body that is only here for a short period of time. And if you allow God to change the way you think, change the way you act, you serve him for the sake of serving him and serve his people for the sake of serving his people, which is why I love the people of Relevant Faith Church. We are not a big church. We're not a small church. In the summertime, we're a much smaller church. But we're not a small church. We're not a big church. We're a little bit above small, but not big, right in the middle, middle ground is the way I look at it. But this church serves. This church serves in a capacity, in a way that allows us in this, this church to do, we have this back to school bash that we want to change our community. We want to reach and minister to kids and provide simple basic needs. This church allows us to do it twice. Twice we get to do it. Because this group serves. Now, you may be sitting here and you may, oh, I don't serve. Well, then fix it and serve. But this group, as a collective group, serves. And that's, I, that's why I believe we see changed lives. See, it's not just for us. We have this glory so that we can serve others. Peter knew this. The apostles knew this glory. They looked for need and trusted God to fill it. Everywhere they went, just read the stories. They looked for need and trusted God to fill it. And I got so many more illustration stories that just not going to get to, man. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. The Bible says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. I love that, ver that passage of scripture. I love that version. It's such a beautiful image. We have this light shining in our hearts. We have the love of Jesus in our hearts. And we have this treasure that has come with that. But yet it fits inside of this fragile clay jar. And it's this fragile jar that contains this great treasure. And that's the design of God that way. Is to have this fragile jar containing this great treasure. Why is it? Because at that moment we know that it is not me that is capable of this, but that it is God and not myself. Because I, I am way too rough a person to hold a fragile clay jar with treasure inside of it. I, I'm going to put that thing on the table and be like, stay there because I'm going to break you if I touch you. I don't hold little baby chicks. Because I squeeze their head off or something. 
I'm, I'm not that gentle a person. And so I, 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 that's my illustration. That's a stupid one, I know. I'm getting a little unruly here. But I, I realized to the point that I've got to be so gentle with the, what the treasure that God has given me and gentle to the point to know it's not me that created it or decided it. It is him who did it. Last thing I want to share with you this morning. I'm going to wrap this up. My worship team can get themselves prepared. I hope this is uh, helping in some way, shape, or form. But ver- number four, the last point in our message today is God wants us to grow in his glory. He wants us to grow in his glory. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18, the Bible says, So all of us who have had that veil removed, and that veil being our sinful life and our life without Christ removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Ooh, that's what I love about the gospel right there. That's it. That's, the, that's all the evidence and proof that I need that I am on a journey. Don't judge me for where I am, but hope that I get where I'm going to go. Because that's right there. He says, as, as he says, once the veil has been removed, if you love Christ and know Christ as your Lord and Savior, the veil has been removed. You can see and reflect the glory of God. So how do I see and reflect practicality coming at you? Open the word of God every day. You will see the glory of God. And that reflection then can be upon your life because you can only reflect what you see. Hence the idea of the mirror. Go stand in a mirror, it shows you what you see. Stand in front of the Word every day, it'll show you what you see. Some things it'll show you you're not going to like about yourself. Other things it'll show you, it'll change your life. Everything will change your life. But you're going to love some of the things you see, you're going to not like some of the same things you see, but that is the reflection of the glory. And then it says, then it says, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. The more and more like him as we are changed suggests that we are on a journey of change. Don't hate where you are. Don't hate the struggle that you have in your journey with Christ. Just know that the more and more you seek him, the more and more you see and reflect his glory, the more and more you are changed into his glorious image. Nothing greater. Nothing more powerful. People want to know the glory of God. We are made to know God in his glory. We fall short of knowing his glory. And Christ came to return us to God's glory. We want to know him. This last passage of scripture I'm going to share with you is really about the Jews and Jesus' second coming. However, I, I believe it shows us the glory of God is what many people want and need. And when God's glory is manifested in our lives and in our church, people are drawn to it. Isaiah chapter 60, verse number one through three. I rise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Many kings will come to see your 
radiance. People are drawn to the glory of God. My first decision with Christ was to want to be like a man that I saw because I saw the glory of God in his life and I wanted what he had. I didn't want to be just like him. I had to work through that part, but I wanted what he had. It's the whole idea is if you set yourself on fire, people will come and watch you burn. It's fact. Who in this place has not stepped out on their front porch when an ambulance or a fire engine has been in their neighborhood? Curiosity draws you to the moment. Same thing with the glory of God. When you are walking in this, people will come just to watch you burn. Some will come to try to watch you fail. Some will come to want to see what you've got. Others will want what you have. But they're all coming. And they're all going to hear the gospel when you begin to live your life and preach. As Christians, as believers, we should pursue the glory of God so that people around us will be drawn to Him. Not to you, but to Him. And as the church, we should pursue the glory of God so that when people come into this church, their needs are met by the presence of God. This is part of why we talk about prayer in the morning being so important. We pray over this place. We pray over ourselves. We pray over one another. We prepare this place to receive people. so that, that And that's how we pray every single week, that their lives be touched and changed forever the moment they walk in this building.